0: and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you Edward Underhill. He is a queer trans man who grew up in Wisconsin. He currently lives in California, where he writes music and stories. His debut novel, Always the Almost, Will release on Valentine's Day in 2023. So I'm excited to get to know Edward today and hear more about his book. So Edward, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you
1: go ahead and tell us a little bit
0: more about yourself?
1: Thank you so much for having me. So um, yeah, my name is Edward. I grew up in Wisconsin and I'm a queer trans man and I currently live in Southern California. Um, and I basically sort of have two jobs, I write, Music um, is job number one, which is mostly for mostly for TV these days. I've written some some music for cartoons, um, and then my other job is writing books. And yeah, so my debut novel is is coming out in February.
0: And so, how did you first come to creativity with writing music and your debut novel?
1: Yeah, so I mean, with with music, I really I grew up. I grew up playing music. I started playing cello when I was five, um, which was not a decision I made. That was definitely something where my parents are like, this instrument is nice. You should play it. So I started taking lessons um, when I was five and started playing piano shortly after that because we had a we had a piano in my house growing up. Um, and then really the composing just kind of happened because I started making stuff up on those instruments. I would just try, you know, like try to mimic things that I heard and then just sort of, um, made stuff up. And then with writing, I think it was actually kind of a product of like where I grew up and being super bored. Like I grew up in suburban Wisconsin. You couldn't walk to anything like you had to, you you know, you had to get in the car, go anywhere. So I just kind of made up my own adventures. I really liked reading as a kid. Um, so I almost like, I don't even remember consciously thinking about it, but I think I just started, writing my own stories. I wrote a whole lot in high school. I wrote some really terrible novels. Um, and then I started getting more serious about it and thinking like, well, how could I, like, what, what, what could I do with this? Is there like a way that I could get a book published? You know, how do how does a book get to be on the shelves of a bookstore? Um, so I started kind of, uh, writing a little bit more seriously, writing and revising much more rather than just sort of um, writing a first draft and then going, well, I wrote a novel, I'm done. Um, So uh, right after college, I wrote a book and queried a couple of agents with it, which basically means like an agent is sort of the one who sells your book to the publisher. So the first step in getting a book published is to query an agent is like, send it to an agent, hope that an agent wants to read it, hope that the agent wants to champion it. And then the, that agent will try to sell it to a publisher. So, um, I had an agent interested in this book and then I sort of realized, um, like looking over his revision suggestions that I didn't feel like this book was ready at all that it was just like i he had so many good comments it made me see see all these other things that that didn't quite feel right about the book um and so i i decided not to go forward with it at that time um and that's honestly a decision i'm still really happy with um so then from there i kind of was focused on music for a while i was in grad school and then i Um, moved out to California and I started building a career and I was like working as a composer assistant. And that was, that's like a lot of work. I was working like 60 to 80 hour weeks on, on Disney TV shows and, um, and it was great and also exhausting. Um, And then I kind of came back to writing um, sort of within like a year and a half around the 2016 election um i lost two grandparents a cousin my partner and i lost our cat and my partner lost a grandparent as well so i sort of had like this big slap in the face of of grief on many levels and so i started writing a book to kind of wrestle with that and i wrote this book while i was waiting for my computers to start up in the morning and kind of like 15 minute chunks wherever i could Um, and then like, if this were, you know, a TV show or a fairy tale, I would send that book out to agents and they'd be like, oh my God, yes, this book of your heart, I want this. And then it would be published. And the actual reality is I sent that book out to a lot of agents and a lot of agents liked it and everybody said, no, thanks. So (laughs) I eventually shelved that book. Um, and then where all was the almost happened is that, um, I still remember coming up with it. It was, I was driving to work really early one morning and just feeling kind of exhausted and kind of done with stuff and just feeling like I always almost get to the point where I want to be, but i somehow don't quite get there. Um, and I came up with this idea for a book of this, like I was thinking of back to, these classical music competitions that I did in high school where, surprise, surprise, I ended up runner-up a lot somehow. Um, And they're they're just like these very intense competitions that everyone did in the classical music world. Um, So I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about how I wanted to write a novel featuring a trans character. And with everything that was sort of going on in the world at the time, this was like 2018, I really wanted to write a joyful trans book, a book to to kind of wrestle with some of these things that are hard about about being trans and not shy away from that, but at the same time, you know, just get to show a teenager falling in love and trying to win a competition and and messing stuff up. Um, so I wrote that book in about a year, and then um, yeah, and then that that was the book that ended up getting an agent, and then selling to a publisher, and now it's going to be the first book that comes out.
0: And so it sounds like at least some of the themes of this book are very much from your life. So did you, like, pull back memories and really put yourself into the character?
1: Yeah, absolutely. At least in in some ways. I mean, Miles, the main character in my book, is very definitely not me. There are, there are things. In some ways, he's a he's he's a lot more confident than I would have been at, at that age. He just knows who he he is much more than I did when I was sixteen. But, um, but yes, I definitely drew on certainly the experiences of these classical music competitions. Um, I very much kind of had that as as the model for for the competition storyline. Um, the book is set in the, in the Midwest in a fictional town, but it's very much, um, based on the town where my mom lives now. Um, so a lot, a lot of it was, was drawn on, on my own experiences and, and also just like, yeah, kind of the experiences of what it's like to be a trans person, especially, you know, sort of pre-transition as, as most kids are in high school these days. And, um, yeah, just kind of, I mean, it's it's very much a, a fictional story, but there is also a lot of me in there. I think Miles has a lot of the same coping techniques that I had as a teenager, which Arno is great. There, there's a lot of uh, snarky inner monologue to get, to get through things, but um, yeah, yeah. But that makes it more realistic and relatable for young adults. <laughs> I hope so. I mean... Yeah, I think like it's it's certainly a way to kind of add add voice to a novel. But I think like for me, definitely like the part of the reason I love writing young adult is because just like everything's a little dramatic when you're a teenager. Everything's a little messy. And those kinds of big emotions are just like sort of where in some ways I think the most humanity is just like just like dealing with like who you're gonna be that's sort of the first time in your life you're really wrestling with that question um so i i felt like i really wanted to write a write a book that was sort of a rom-com with maybe a little bit more angst and a little bit more snark but um but where you know my character gets to wrestle with yes the questions of sort of his own identity and being trans but also just these big questions of who do you wanna be as a person that kind of all teens are wrestling with at that time?
0: So would you be willing to share what your personal experience was like as a teenager and being trans?
1: Sure, so my personal experience being a teenager and being trans was that like, I didn't know I was trans when I was a teenager. So I came out way back in the dark ages of 2009, um, which is, like, both a long time ago and not that long ago. Um, Like, really not that long ago, but at the same time, just knowledge of trans stuff has come so far since then. So I came out when I was in college, and, like, I remember looking, like, literally Googling, like, looking online, trying to find, like... A blog or something to sort of see other people who were like me, you know, to kind of like tell myself that I was going to be okay. Right. And I think I found one, I found like literally one blog by a trans man. It's like the only one there was for years. Um, so I think like, this is, this is something where language becomes really important. And I just had no language growing up for what I felt like. So I, like, couldn't identify it in any way except that I felt wrong. And I think, like, I am, I I never was super stereotypically masculine. So, um, like, I remember when I first came out to someone and their response was, like, so do you like football now? And I was, like, well, no. I mean, I never liked football. I'm not going to start liking football just because... <laughs> I'm a guy now, but like, I think because of that, like I didn't, um, it wasn't always immediately obvious to me, like, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't sort of express masculinity in these very stereotypical ways. Um, so I, I don't think for my teenage self, I could just sort of go like, well, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable, but I kind of can't figure out why. Um, so being a teenager was honestly really hard because of that i you know i just i was depressed a lot and kind of had no idea why or what to do about it um and it really wasn't until i got to college um that other people were able to give me that language to understand who i was um and even then there you know i think there were a few other trans folks um at my college but there was a queer scene and there were just people who were able to help me kind of figure out who I was and what to do about it as it were, like, you know, just to to kind of start that journey, like people who are very accepting. Um. So I was able to start transitioning and I basically transitioned physically sort of at the end of college um, and right before grad school. So then basically when I went to grad school, I was passing as a regular guy. Um, and for a long time, that's just kind of where I left it because, you know, really until very recently, like there were very few people who were out as trans. It didn't feel like a particularly safe thing to be. It still doesn't in many places. Um, so I basically was kind of, stealth as they say for a long time and I just I think that the 2016 election kind of tipped things for me because I realized that trans issues were starting to take the spotlight um and there was starting to be a lot of backlash um a lot of ideas about whether or not we should be able to access healthcare, um and I realized that like I you know in in music composition especially it's a very very cis het male dominated space and so i worked with all these people who just didn't know that they knew a trans person basically and i think there's a way that when these issues come up people have this idea that they don't really need to care about it because it doesn't affect them or anyone they know so i decided to be much more out at that point came out to my boss and stuff like that because I just felt like I want you to know that you do know a trans person and it does matter. And then once I wrote Always the Almost, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be out as a trans author because I want those kids who are Googling to find, I mean, now there are so many people you can find, but I was just like, I want to be another person that you can find instead of that like one dude that I found <laughs> Googling <laughs> when I was younger. So did you
0: find comfort when you started coming out more publicly
1: to other people or was there
0: backlash?
1: I basically had a really positive experience, which I think I was very lucky. I mean, when I first came out as trans, that was that was more complicated and that was trickier. And it was partly just that so few people even knew what that meant that I think... It was hard. I mean, it was hard for my family to really grasp what that meant. Um, and it took some some working through to kind of get to a point where everybody was OK. Um, I think like when I came out. Later in, in 2016, um, you know, two more of my acquaintances or the folks that I worked with. That went pretty well I mean I basically approached it as like if you need to ask me questions ask me questions which is like not what I recommend doing the second you know a trans person be like let me ask you all the questions because some trans folks are like I would really like to not be everyone's trans 101 but um, but I just felt like yeah you know what ask me the questions I'd rather you get this from me than from like whatever random Google search you're gonna do in five minutes um, and basically like you know we kind of, we got some questions out of the way and then we kind of moved on. And it's, I mean, you know, this is also Southern California. <laughs> like it's, I think, especially recently, it's been extremely different in different parts of the country. And I'm lucky that right now I live someplace where it is is—it is absolutely 100% easier to be trans here. And also, i I mean, I look like a regular guy walking down the street, right? Like I'm, yes, I am a sort of, short regular guy and i probably read as pretty gay but like you know (laughs) that's that's a lot different than someone who doesn't necessarily pass as a cis person um and i'm sure that you know that impacts my experience as well
0: yeah well i'm glad to hear that you know there is positivity you have had good experiences yeah So then obviously when you wrote this book, you wanted to make sure you had representation in the book. Have you since found other books that also have representation so that you are becoming like
1: one of the many? Yes, which is like absolutely fantastic because I still remember when I was in high school and really like looking back on it, it's like, aha, duh, of course I picked up this book, but like, you know, I didn't know it at the time. So I picked up this one book in high school that was at the independent bookstore. It was like one of the few books that I bought. And it was called Absolutely Positively Not. I believe the author's name is David La Rochelle. I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but it was about it was about this like gay guy growing up in Minnesota. And I was like, "Oh my god, this book is like so great. It's like queer. I didn't know why I was so into the fact that it was queer at the time, but, you know, and it was like in the Midwest. Fantastic. But, like, for a long, long time, there were so few books out there. I remember someone told me in college, like, oh, you have to read this one trans book, which is, like, the only trans book there was. I'm not going to say what it was, um, but I read it, and I was like, well, this is utter shit. Like, it's clearly written by a cis person. It's clearly, like, they did one Google search, and then were like, ah, I understand what it is like to be trans, and now I will write a book about it. And I was just like, well, this isn't, this doesn't resonate with me at all. This doesn't feel accurate. This feels like someone trying to write a book about what they think my experience is like. But um, I think just, just within like the last five years even, there's been this sort of huge rise of queer young adult books generally, and even middle grade now, which is great. But there are just like... With, within that, it's a smaller number, of course, but within that, there are starting to be some really wonderful trans books as well. So one of the most well-known is Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas, which I think was the first trans book by a trans author to hit the New York Times bestseller list. Um, so there's there's that, but there's even starting to be other ones. There's, if you like other fantasy, there's like The Witch King by H.E. Edgemon, um, there's more that are coming out. I have a a friend who has a book about a non-binary figure skater coming out um, next year called Skating on Mars. Like there's just, there's starting to be so many more, um, which is just wonderful. It's like, it's wonderful to feel like this is not, you know, like if someone picks up my book and hopefully likes it, there are other books they can read that are like that. You know, it's really nice to be part of a crowd for once.
0: Yeah. And are books that are more queer, do they tend to be more young adult
1: and some middle grade? Or is it also hitting, like, the adult book scene? It is starting to hit the adult book scene as well, I think. It's really, I mean, of course, I'm, because I write young adult, I, I pay much more attention to that market to be, to be fully transparent. So I definitely know that, like, just if you even look at what the bestseller lists are these days, so much, like a good chunk of it is queer, which just still kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, I mean, the Young Adult National Book Award winner last last year, I think, uh, was the Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Wolinda um, Lowe, which is a queer book. Um, it is starting to come to adult as well, though, I think, especially in the area of rom-coms or any romance books so one of my favorite recent reads was um boyfriend material by alexis hall which is basically like i describe it as like bridget jones but gay Um, (laughs) and it's just like a wonderful queer book that's a rom-com but has these incredibly nuanced portrayals of what it's like to be gay in a society that at this point is largely accepting but still kind of has things that are awkward or people who are uncomfortable with it, but won't say. And yeah, it's just like, it's, it's really fun to read these books where I think the biggest change is that they're not just books about how miserable everyone is when they're queer. It's not just books about how, like, if you're queer, your life is going to suck or they're not just books just about coming out, even though those stories are also important. And they're not books where, like, queer people die at the end. (laughs) You know, they're just books where, like, people get to exist and be happy and lead their messy lives. And that's, that's wonderful.
0: And so this is, I'm probably going to word this question poorly because I don't really know. I haven't fully formed the question in my head. But, like, obviously if a story is about a coming out story, like, you're following that journey. You know the character is coming out in whatever queer way. If that's not the story, how do you make sure the author knows the character's identity when society has been so
1: ingrained for, like, sits het characters? Right. So do you mean, like, kind of how do you communicate the identity to the reader in, like, a way that they're going to understand? Yeah. Yeah, without, like, throwing it in their face. Yeah. Or, like... Yeah, I mean, this is something that I wrestled with in, in writing... The book, and I would say actually even more so in writing book two, which I can't talk a lot about yet, but it will be coming out in 2024. So there there will be another one. Um so like book book one, I would say is it has coming of age elements in there. So there is a lot of like inner monologue of sort of wrestling with with your identity and and what it means and how you're perceived by other people. I mean, I think especially when when you're trans, I mean, really when you're queer in any capacity. The the coming out honestly doesn't happen once. It's like a a thing that kind of just comes up every time you meet someone new or whatever. So it's it's an ongoing process. But you know, so basically in Albus the Almost, when the book starts, there there are some references to Miles's life before he came out, before he knew he was trans. But when the book starts, he's basically already come out. He's He's out as trans. He's, you know, living with his his real name and um, presenting how he wants to. But it's also all in his own head. So there are a lot of ways that you can kind of just wrestle with what the everyday thoughts are. I mean, the fact that like trans people have to think about, you know, especially like pre-testosterone in this case, for example, like Miles has to wrestle with where he's going to go to the bathroom. I mean, there's, you know, there's just all of these things that I think most people would never think about, um, but that you can still show um, just by being in the, in the reader's head. And I think otherwise, like, it's just, it's just also like if you have queer supporting characters, which I usually do, Um, you know, I mean, I think because my books involve romance, there's a lot of, you know, it's fairly easy to kind of have those characters talk about it. So the two of, two of Miles's best friends happen to be dating each other and they're both girls at the beginning of the book. Um, so I, I, the other thing is like, honestly, when you're in a group of queer people, they talk about queerness a lot, like... (laughs) It's just kind of a natural topic of conversation, partly because like, where else are you going to talk about it? You know, like, how else are you going to, are you going to have it? Um, Like this, like when you're with your, your queer friends is, is the place to talk about it. And there's this wonderful quote um, from Cemetery Boys uh, by Aiden Thomas that I mentioned earlier. And I'm going to, I'm going to like, forget exactly how it goes, but it's something about like, queer people are like wolves and we move in packs and it's like absolutely true <laughs> like you find those other queer people and you and you kind of stick to them but i think in terms of like you know i think i think it's it is this idea that um that this aspect of someone's identity is is just like any other aspect and it's not it's honestly not something that we necessarily think about all the time And also is something we think about all the time. Like both those things are kind of true. Um, But yeah, so I think a lot of it for me was just like, just putting in the characters in everyday situations in the situations that I wanted them to be in. And the truth is a lot of that stuff comes up because it just, it does when you're a teenager, especially, you know, in terms of who do you have a crush on or, you know, who are you currently fighting with or, you know, just all sorts of stuff. It just, yeah, it easily comes up. And I think- Especially if you're writing a main character who's, who's queer, you know, when you're in their own, when you're in their head, you're going to see their thoughts, and that's inevitably going to be going to be part of it.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate you answering that question. I think you explained it really well in a way that makes sense for someone who may not have ever read a book with a trans or any sort of queer character. So you did mention that there's going to be a book, too, and that you can barely say anything about it. So the only the only question I'm going to ask, is it like a continuation or like similar characters that they are a pair of books?
1: No. So both books are standalone books, which is actually pretty typical for contemporary young adult books. It's like you'll find sequels in fantasy much more often than you will in contemporary books. Um, but so it is it is a second standalone book, um, featuring a grumpy trans boy and a sunshine queer girl, um, and they're both in marching band, and that's, that's all I'm gonna say about it for now, but it's also, it is also, like, very similar in terms of genre, it's, it's also a rom-com, um, uh, and also contemporary, and also young adult, Yeah that's enough until more <laughs> there will information. be so much more revealed as we get closer to 2024 i mean this is like the funny thing about publishing is that it goes at a glacial pace so like i sold all is the almost in like february or march 2021 and it's going to come out in february of 2023 and it's like that's actually how long publishing takes there are so many things to happen so so are you finished with the second book or still in like earlier stages. So I have finished one round of revisions on book two. So it is currently with my editor and she's going to read it and then sort of respond to the revisions I did. And, and, you know, we'll see if they, if she feels like they're, they're kind of right. If there's more to be done. Um, but yeah, it's basically a, it's basically a process. I, I tend to revise myself too, before I even send the book to my editor, but then there's, you know, more revisions with, um, with the editor, kind of, uh, because at a certain point, I think you just like, <laughs> I certainly got here with book two, because that was the first book where I was writing it under deadline. Like I, I basically sold the, the first book as part of a, uh, as a two book deal. So they agreed that they were going to publish two books, which meant I had to write the second book on a specific deadline, which I'd never done before. Um, so it was a lot of me, like in December, especially like sitting there like flinging words at a page, just sort of in a frenzy to get this book done. Um, So writing that book so much faster and writing it under deadline like that, you do just get to a point where you're like, I don't know, is this book good? Maybe. Or it might just be like a steaming pile of trash and I need my editor to help me figure that out. (laughs) So, um, yes, I am grateful, very grateful to have an editor who can help me make it not a steaming pile of trash anymore.
0: And are you ever gonna go back to any of those earlier books that you wrote?
1: That's a really good question um maybe I do have um I have uh, an idea for a fantasy book kind of kicking around in the back of my head that would be sort of borrowing the concept and a few pieces of an earlier story I wrote that I think would would need a lot of work in other ways to to really work as I want it to now but I do tend to keep those ideas kind of kicking around in the back of my head as like, well, I think the way that I wrote them originally probably wouldn't work because (laughs) I've just gotten a lot better as a writer, I hope. Um, But that like there might be sort of some kernel in there that you could that you could borrow for for future books down the road. Yeah.
0: And is your hope to be an author full-time or will you continue to write music as well? Like what's the thought for the future?
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the truth is being an author full-time is really, really hard. Um, it's, it's very hard to kind of make enough money off the books that you sell, even if you're being published by a big five publisher. Um, like I'm with Macmillan and that's just kind of how things go right now, unless you're sort of a breakout bestseller. Um, but, um, but I mean like at the same time, my other job is composing music. And like longer ago I would have been like, how does one make a career out of that? I don't know. That doesn't seem great either. So, (laughs) so really I could like kick myself a little bit for choosing apparently two creative careers that are both freelance and both really (laughs) hard to navigate. But, um, You know, I think like where I am right now is that I want to keep writing books. It's been wonderful so far. I mean, it's just like this thing that I, I think, you know, music is, has always been special and sort of, as I mentioned earlier, like my parents started me playing the cello. So in some ways it was, it was this sort of special thing that was handed to me. And writing is sort of the special thing that I found completely on my own. Um, so I think like that's that aspect of it. Um, it's been it's been sort of a very different journey to like actually be having a book published and go, hey, wait a minute, maybe like I don't suck at this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like right now I'm I'm like you know what I'll keep composing, I'll keep writing, and we'll just kind of see where things go
0: and you talked that you did you know you were working a lot early on in music composition yeah. so how have you made a career in music composition
1: so yeah so i mean music composition like there's there's so many different ways that you could go but the the way that i decided i wanted to go was um i wanted to write film music was the thought the thought originally um so i you know i did a masters in in film music and then i moved out to California and um I (laughs) I started by like doing an internship and literally getting some very famous composers coffee (laughs) which is like I'm so glad I have a master's degree for this this is just great um but that did kind of you know like a lot of it is networking at those lower levels and so I basically then from there um got my resume to a composer who was looking to hire an assistant. Um, And I ended up getting the job and a lot of composers have assistants. It's sort of anything from like their computers break and they literally need someone to fix them. Um, But also to like, you know, so many composers are so busy. They sometimes need some help writing some music. Um, So I started by like doing some programming, which basically means like, the composer I was working for would write the music and then I would sort of be responsible for, um, for fleshing it out and kind of making, making the computers sound like full orchestra because so much of music these days, especially in television or things that are lower budget, um, like it may sound like full orchestra, but it's probably just computers making it. Um, so that's like, honestly, half the job now is like, how do you, how do you make these computers sound like the best full orchestra you can make them sound like, um, so I really just like, I started as, as his assistant and then kind of took on more responsibility and wrote, um, wrote more music. And, um, I got really lucky in the shows that I was working on. I think were very, just like very good for, um, for my natural, like what I, what I'm just, what I have experience in, which is really like orchestral based, um, composing. And then they were just really great shows to work on, um, so I worked on The Lion Guard, which is a spinoff of The Lion King, um, and it was a TV show on Disney Junior. Um, I worked on that. And then, um, and then eventually I kind of got to the point where it just sort of made sense for me to go freelance. Um, so I went freelance and then um, met uh, another composer who my original boss had introduced me to, um, who was doing the music for Kid Cosmic, which was um, the show by Craig McCracken, who did the Powerpuff Girls. Um, that's on Netflix and so I started writing music for that um, and that was super fun it was just like you know riffing on a lot of old science fiction uh, tropes and stuff Um, so then yeah I just like so now I'm kind of in a in a position where I'm I'm freelancing so I take on work um, mostly as like writing additional music for other composers when they need it Um, and that's that has worked out really well for the moment at least because it means that I can kind of make my own schedule. And so when I have a lot of writing deadlines, I can be like, okay, I need to you know, dial it back a little bit on the music front and, and give myself more time to write.
0: And do you have any big goals for some sort of music composition in the future? Cause you've now like, well, you haven't officially hit publish on the book but you've published a book. Right. <laughs> So have you like, do you have like a big, I want to be in a
1: big movie or something? You know, the funny thing is I, I absolutely went into this being like, I will one day write music for the next Star Wars. And the funny thing is like, I, I feel much more complicated about that now. Um, I think that writing music for really big movies like that is just it's a lot of time it's a lot of energy and and those folks can literally do nothing else i mean it's just it's their lives while they're working on that um and uh you know but it's also complicated because with the sort of disappearance of smaller mid-list movies um the only things that the only movies that use live orchestra anymore are those big movies are star Wars and the Marvel movies, and maybe the biggest, you know, Pixar movies. Um, But a lot of why I got into this was because I wanted to keep working with musicians. You know, I, I grew up playing cello. I went to college originally also like as a cello major um, and then injured my wrist and had to drop that. So like a lot of, pursuing composition was that I wanted to keep working with, with musicians. So it's been, you know, it's complicated because I think, um, a lot of TV stuff or smaller movies just don't use live musicians anymore. And then it's a very isolating experience to be sort of writing it by yourself, just trying to make these computers sound like real musicians and knowing that you're never really going to get the magic that happens when you have real people playing Music, So I don't know. I mean, I think like I'm, I think where I've come to right now is that really my goals are to work on projects with people that I love working with. And I've been really lucky to do that. I mean, like, this recent gig Kid Cosmic was just like, everyone on that show was amazing. Working with the composer Andy Bean on that show was amazing. And just like, writing the music was super fun. And also, it was super fun because everyone on the show was great. So I think ultimately, like, that matters much more than I expected it to when I started out, that, like, this is a very collaborative thing to be writing music for essentially someone else's story. Um, So it matters a lot to me to work with people that I just love working with, because that just makes the experience so much more meaningful.
0: Right. Now, because it's collaborative, is it something that you're having to go into an office for, or are you doing things remotely, especially with the pandemic?
1: Yeah. So when I worked for um, my the, worked for that other composer um, on some of those shows when I was getting started, um, I did go into his studio and would do would do work there. Um, and now that I'm freelancing, um, I sort of kept working. Um, out of that studio for a little while, and now I basically work out of my garage. Um, so I've I've been very lucky that I've kind of been able to set up a, a studio um, in there, um, which is great. Now my commute is like walking out of my door, which is so much better than driving halfway across the city. But. Um, Uh, but it is like this, it's this weird, it's, it's a weird thing where it is very collaborative because you're working on this project with a bunch of other people, but also in reality, it's like, you're all sitting in your little soundproofed rooms doing like your little piece of this thing and like not seeing another human all day. (laughs) So it is by and large, like pretty remote. Most of it is really just me like watching a scene 50 times over and over on my computer and trying to play some notes for it.
0: And since you just mentioned there about, you know, a commute across the city, what has it been like, you know, having grown up in Wisconsin
1: and now being in Southern California? I mean, I'm definitely allergic to this much sunshine. It's like, I mean, you can't see me, but I am like an incredibly pale person. And I just like, like I got sunburned once visiting Ireland. Like that's how bad it is. So I'm a little bit like, I don't know what I was thinking moving to someplace where it gets this, it's this sunny all the time. Um, but I will say like, you know, I think I have, um, you know, I don't think that the the Midwest and Wisconsin is, is sometimes as sort of black and white as a lot of people portray it. Um, I remember after the election reading all of these pieces, like what is going on in these places that voted for Trump or whatever. And it's like, I definitely got the feeling that the New York times just like thought Wisconsin was entirely white and entirely Republican. And I was just like, no, it's so much more complicated than that. Um, but I will say like living in Southern California has, is also kind of wonderful. I mean, there's just like so many other kinds of people here. I mean, like the, where I live, I just, I feel very much like people just kind of like live their weird. Like they just, you know, they just like dress how they want. They do what they want. And it's kind of great, to be honest, especially as someone where like you grow up and you feel like you kind of don't fit in anywhere to come here and be like, everyone's sort of doing their own thing. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. And
0: do you have advice for any of the listeners, whether about queerness, author, composer, anything you'd like to share?
1: Yeah. I mean, advice is so hard, right? Because like everyone's experience is going to be different and what works for one person will be like the absolute wrong thing for another person. But I think like the thing that I just feel more and more is that like everything is kind of a balance. um, And that there is no deadline for anything is sort of, I guess the one piece of advice that I feel like can kind of apply to all, to all three things there's no you know if you want to write a book there's no deadline at which point you're like well too old to write a book or whatever like there's there's no there's no timeline to write a book there's no timeline to becoming a composer there's no timeline to you know coming out and being queer and deciding how you want to live your life like it's all it's all kind of a work in progress Um, And then I think, like, in terms of the creativity stuff, I mean, do it out of spite, if nothing else. Like, (laughs) I mean, I wrote "Always the Almost because I really wanted to write a joyful book and show, you know, a a joyful way of being trans. But also, I kind of wrote it out of spite. Like, no one wanted my last book, so I'll show you, you know. And I think that's (laughs) honestly, that's kind of how I'm existing right now you know, when there's so much backlash against queer people, um, and writing and composing, like any creative endeavor is just really hard. So it's like, do it out of spite, whatever kind of keeps you going.
0: (laughs) Great. I think I'm going to start to wrap things up unless you have anything else for the listeners. Sounds good to me. So at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. So my question for you
1: is, what foreign language would you like to learn? Oh, I would love to learn Japanese. And this is, I say this like, this isn't quite fair because I already learned a little Japanese, but I studied it in college and it's just like, I mean, I i yes, I am that person who started studying it because I was an anime nerd, but it's just like, it is such a beautiful language. And the differences about it to English are sort of fascinating to me, like, um, they don't usually, like, specify between like a singular object and a plural object. And it's just all from context. So sometimes I occasionally think about that when I'm like, you know, we're over here, in English, having all of these grammar conversations about whether you can prefer to, you know, whether someone's allowed to use they-them pronouns and it's just like, okay, whatever, you know. Um, but no, I just think Japanese is is a is a beautiful language, and I would love to one day have more time to, to learn more of it.
0: All right, that brings this episode to a close. I'll be leaving Edward's website in the description, along with a link to his book site as well if you'd like to get in um, and check that out for pre-order or purchase it after it comes out in February. I'll also be leaving a list of all of the various books that he recommended throughout this episode. So the various queer books, I wanted to make sure that those get in the description so you can reference those if you'd like to check any of those books out. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. That brings you to all of our social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. It also brings you to all past episodes. If you want to check out episodes with other authors or other queer people, we've got a lot of those published. So feel free to go check those out as well. And if you'd like to be a guest, my email is in the description. I'd love to connect with you. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, a link to do that is in the description as well. So thank you so much, Edward, for spending time with me today, and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time,
1: bye. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody.